0: The Astros get off the mat and back into the ALCS thanks to an old friend. And do the Diamondbacks have any chance to get back in the NLCS now that they're home against the Phillies in what's been a drama-less postseason to date? Dolphins at Eagles highlights another dreadful NFL Sunday. Penn State, Ohio State headlines a so-so college football Saturday. And can we ease up on the early Victor Wembenyama hype as we're just five days away from opening tip-off, amped up to take you into the weekend with another rapid-fire hour of sports talk. It's all coming up, but first... This message. J Reels here just passing by to send a brief reminder to please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast, the J Reels podcast, on wherever you listen to your podcast, whether it's on Apple, Google, Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Luminary, Castbox, all of the major platforms that are out there. Whichever one that you listen to, once again, just throw me a few stars, write a review. I would greatly appreciate it just to increase the visibility of this podcast with all the others that are out there. Especially this one, which covers all sports in roughly one hour. Where else are you going to get that? So if you can go ahead and please do that, I would sincerely and gratefully appreciate it. And with that said, let's get it. The J Reels Podcast begins in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Let's get this sports podcast party started, alright? The J Reels Podcast. Why don't you wait until July 1st to make an announcement? What a disgrace. He can rack up all these numbers in October, November, and December, but what really counts is let me see this in January. The sports rebel without a pause, delivering fast-paced, jam-packed sports talk like no other. Listen, I gotta call it as I see it, he is not a good player. I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, direct, and in full effect. Let's get it. This is the J-Worlds Podcast. Welcome aboard. What is happening, Michael? people? Greetings! How are you? How's it going? How's everybody doing out there? What is the latest and greatest? Hope everybody's doing well, feeling fantastic, in excellent spirits. Plenty to unpack as you get your sports fix from yours truly. And I am more than happy to provide it as this is the J Reels Podcast with your host J Reels. For my first timers, welcome aboard. And for those who have been banging with me going back to the very beginning... Somewhere in the middle or even as early as this past Monday, I welcome you guys and gals back. And as the leaves are starting to change, as the weather's getting a little bit brisk here in the Northeast, although today's going to be the mid-60s, which is nice, but with November just two weeks away, really less than that when you think about it, and inching closer to crowning a champion in Major League Baseball, and that's where I'm going to begin because now that we're getting into the middle of each of these series... The Diamondbacks and Phillies, I'll get to in a second, which has been just an absolute bore unless you live in Philadelphia. And who knows if the Diamondbacks are going to have any type of comeback in them, if they're going to try to get themselves to a point where they could get some of that magic dust, they could get on that magic carpet ride that they've had for the first. Few games of this postseason, or really the first couple of rounds, whether it was the wild card or even the division series. Well, they're going to need that and then some if they not only want to get back in the series, but of course win it. But I'm going to start off with what happened last night between the Astros and Rangers. And we've seen this movie before. The Astros are a team that, for whatever the reason, they like to have their backs against the wall. They're a team that's faced a lot of adversity over the years. Most of that has been self-inflicted if you go back to the 2017 season and not to rehash all that, what took place there during that postseason. But they're a team that has a lot of toughness, a lot of grit, a lot of character, a lot of metal, and more importantly, the championship DNA. And yesterday, knowing that they had no other option as a lot of the focal point in the locker room was that they did not want to go down 0-3, and even then. We've seen this team come back from a 0-3 deficit, albeit the pandemic year, albeit in neutral sites, but in the league championship series against the Tampa Bay Rays, remember the Rays jumped out to a 3-0 series lead before Houston came all the way back to tie and then fell short there in game seven. So this team knows their way around not only just the postseason, not only just October, but winning baseball. And they had to face an old friend for a Mets fan like myself, and a one, Max Scherzer. And what you saw last night were the Astros breathing some life into their team. And even with Scherzer, the guy that was brought in from New York right at the trade deadline, the hired gun, the mercenary that he is, dating back to the days when he was a Washington National. Then gets traded to LA with the Dodgers, and we saw what happened there in that postseason two years ago. To come to New York last year, and we saw him vomit all over himself in the wild card game against San Diego. And then now last night, and I don't want to hear that he hadn't pitched in over a month, that he's coming back from a shoulder injury, that he's thirty nine years of age. The reason why the Texas Rangers brought him to that team was to perform in big games. And I'm not going to sit here to say that he had to go six innings and pitch one run, three hit ball, and strike out ten, walk nobody. Nobody was asking for that. Even as a fan from afar, you would have liked for him to at least gone five innings minimum, maybe six, three runs, four or five hits, six, seven strikeouts. You would have settled for that. Keep your team in the game. Instead, he goes four innings. Five runs, five hits, get smacked around, out of the game, and even with the Rangers trying to claw back and make an interesting late, it was too much for them to overcome as the Astros win 8-5 after what we saw in those first two games, especially the Houdini job by Nathan Ivaldi up 5-2, bases loaded, fifth inning, and how he was able to get out of that. And even with the Astros trying to get back and made it close before losing 5-4 there on Monday... Thanks to Ivaldi's escapism and being able to bring the series to Houston 2-0, or excuse me, to Texas 2-0, that yesterday's game was crucial for the Astros to be able to pull out to win by hook or by crook, and what they did was flex their muscle and show that they are not dead yet, that you're going to have to not only put the stake through the heart, but you're going to have to chop off the head, maybe even the arms and the legs for that matter, because the Astros look like they're going to be in. For maybe a 6 or 7 game series. Now let's see what's going to happen today. We have Andrew Heaney. And I understand Heaney, his pitch pretty, I'll say he's been decent. Not trying to say he's Sandy Koufax or he's a guy that you can really bank on. That he's going to pull his team, not necessarily out of the fire. But at least extend this series lead to 3-1 to where the Astros have no room for error. But to have Heaney there and a guy that are you going to really trust if you're a Ranger fan, and I'm sure the Astros are going to look forward to trying to dig themselves in the batter's box to see if they could pull off another early rally or put some runs on the board early so Texas could squeeze those bats a little bit tighter and feel the pressure knowing that the Astros are starting to... Mount some momentum to start to get themselves to feel better, not only on the diamond, but of course, in the batter's box, etc. And this is going to be, as we've seen throughout Game 4s in any sport, a pivotal game. Because if the Astros do win this game, who knows? They may end up winning another game on the road like we've seen in the past, whether it was at Yankee Stadium last year to polish off the Yankees in four, or even in the 2019 World Series where... They were down 0-2 going to Washington, and they won the middle three games before going back to Houston and eventually losing that World Series, but this is a team that loves to play on the road. It doesn't matter where they're at. It could be on the moon. It could be in Arlington. No case for the Astros to even worry or shake in their boots because they've been down this road plenty of times. And even though I mentioned this yesterday on the YouTube channel, I said that they're not dead yet. I don't know if they're going to win the series. I was a little bit tentative even picking them to win in six. And if they run the table, that's going to be the case. But I could see this series going back to Houston. But the one thing that I'm waffling back and forth, are they going to go down 3-2 or up 3-2? That's going to be the big question. I can see them winning these next two games. I really can but I could see Texas, and they're going to need to do it today because I could only imagine if the Astros do win a game four today, and in game five, you're going to have Verlander there. Something tells me that the Astros are going to find a way to win that game. And Verlander, this is going to be a big start for him. Not that he needs to prove to anybody or anyone that he's a Hall of Fame pitcher, he's going in on roller skates, but if he can have one big game in that right arm. You feel like he could do that against a Ranger team that's going to be scuffling. And we've seen this Ranger team throughout the course of the year. They could be hot and they could be a team that could ride their offense and be as dominant as they were for the first three and a half months of the regular season. But then they have their moments where they sputter, where their pitching isn't in sync with the hitting or vice versa, where their bats go cold and they may pitch well, or their pitching just implodes, but they do get some offense. So now... These next two games are going to be indicative more on the Rangers than it is on the Astros. So I'm fascinated to see how this is going to unfold. Based on my prediction, I'm going to say the Astros are going to win these next two games. And I tell you, if the Astros get today, they're going to get tomorrow. Because I think the Rangers will be tight, even with Bruce Bochy, the three-time World Series manager of the San Francisco Giants, because we've seen this before with Texas. And when you start off your... 2023 postseason with seven straight wins, would it be impossible if they go into a little bit of a tailspin to lose three straight? And I wouldn't be surprised if they won the back two, similar to the 2019 World Series where the Astros win their road games, but they can't win a home game. But this is why we watch sports, and this is going to be intriguing to say the least, knowing that the Astros have gotten themselves off the mat. Now they're dusting themselves, and let's see if they can even the series today and extend this series to at least a sixth game to the point where Major League Baseball needs this. Because this postseason has been just a bore. I understand you had a little bit of drama there in Braves-Phillies with the ending of Game 2, and then you wondered going into that Game 4, were the Braves going to be able to even the series to bring it back to a deciding fifth game in Atlanta? And as we saw, that wasn't the case. But the Wild Card games were sweeps. Baltimore swept out of the postseason, the Dodgers swept out of the postseason, Houston and Minnesota, not much drama once you got to the Twin Cities, so baseball needs to ride a wave here. They need to get some momentum to have people watch, to have people intrigued, and that's why today's game is imperative for the Rangers to win, because if they go up 3-1, a lot of people are going to think it's a formality, they're going to win the series, whether it be in 5, 6, or 7. And who knows, that's not to say the Astros can't win. But the bottom line is this, if the Astros could get today, at least it adds some juice to this postseason. Because now that I segue to the National League Championship Series, I don't think you're going to get that. And I'd be shocked if the series goes back to Philadelphia, whether it's 3-2 Philly, or, dare I say, Arizona up 3-2. I think the Diamondbacks, they've been a great story. It's almost as if they're the Cinderella team in the NCAA tournament where they're the 13 or 14 seed and they get past their opening game and they get into the Sweet 16. And then when they get to the Sweet 16, maybe, just maybe, they get to an Elite Eight and possibly to a Final Four. But the stage becomes too big because now they're going up against the Blue Blood and not to say that the Phillies are Blue Blood. But the point of the matter is, is that when you have that Cinderella team get to a sweet 16, or push it to an elite 8, that's when the clock strikes 12. And as we saw in the first two games, the clock has struck 12 in ways that I'm sure the Diamondbacks still haven't gotten the ringing out of their ears just yet. Phillies jump out to a 5 nothing lead. Swarber and Harper with the home runs there in the first inning. I understand that the Diamondbacks made it interesting. They cut it to 5-3. They... We're able to muster some rallies, even in the ninth inning with Kimbrell, who is always walking that fine line of a tightrope or a slack line every time he comes into the game. But he got the double play to get the save in Game 1. And what, what could you say about what happened there in Game 2? Now, Merrill Kelly did keep his team in the game there, and I understand that these Phillies went going away there late. But the momentum, just the way the Phillies are playing right now, they are unstoppable. Their offense, they're getting it from just about everybody in the lineup, whether your name is Trey Turner, who, what about those boo birds that you heard there in May, June, July, and August? I'm sure you forgot about those, whether you're the baseball fan or even the Philly fan, and give it up to the Philly fan because they even cheered Trey Turner sometime there in the early part of August when he was scuffling the whole year. And we know the Philly fan, as fickle as they could be, they'll boo Santa Claus, as we've seen there in the past. It doesn't matter. But they stuck with Turner and he's had a big postseason. Save for Harper, save for Schwarber, save for Castellanos, save for Rio Muto. Zach Wheeler's pitched well. Aaron Nola has pitched phenomenal. They've gotten contributions from anyone, everyone, and everywhere, to the point where they're two games away from going back to the World Series. And I can't see that changing. Arizona, even if they win tonight, 20 to nothing doesn't matter the Phillies will dust that off and game four whoever will start then I'm sure probably Taiwan Walker because then you're going to have Zach Wheeler game five and then Arenola game six if it goes that far but I can't see the Diamondbacks getting in this series now will they be spunky will they be pesky will they scratch and claw absolutely that's the type of team they are and they're going to need to play from in front and even then if they're going to play from in front they're going to have to play with a big lead if they get out to a one nothing lead and they can't tack on any runs as you get deeper into the game, that's going to set up well for the Phillies. And even if they jump out to a 2 3 nothing lead, they have to continue to be relentless. They just can't rest on their laurels to think that if they get off to, let's say, a 3 nothing lead and you get to the top of the fourth, that the Diamondbacks are going to cruise all la in the previous series against the Dodgers. As we saw, the Dodgers couldn't hit out, out of a wet paper bag. Betts and Freeman were invisible. And you're not seeing that here with this Philly team. Because just like I mentioned, everybody in that lineup is hitting. So I can't see that changing within 48 hours where the Phillies are flying high and then all of a sudden they're going to go flat in the desert. Are the Diamondbacks going to get one game? I predicted the Phillies in six. More so in five, but I said six. Why not? But I wouldn't be surprised if this is a sweep... And out of respect, I'll give the Diamondbacks one game. But it's not coming back to Philadelphia. This series is going to be done before you get to Sunday night. And as it is, they're going to play tonight, tomorrow, and Saturday. So who knows? The coronation and a back-to-back National League championship pennant looks like that's going to be in the cards for this Philly team unless something goes off the rails, which I can't see forecasting. But hey, you never know. We understand things happen, players could get hurt, pitchers could go down, etc. But the Phillies are playing with too much gas in their tank and I can't see them folding as we're two games into the series just like that. I want to get to a couple of other baseball notes that have happened here over the past couple of days. What the Marlins are doing, and I get it, the Marlins, nobody cares. The Marlins are a franchise, even with their two World Series wins, have pretty much been 30 years of downtrodden, uninspiring, and let's face it, bottom-of-the-barrel baseball. But what they did with their GM, Kim Ng, and I wonder if Steve Cohen has been reading the tea leaves, and if they want to bring in a GM, and who knows, maybe she has a little bit too much power considering that what she's been able to do in baseball, cutting her teeth with the Yankees going back to the 90s under Brian Cashman, and then now Being a GM and being let go because of some differences in the organization based on the owner, Bruce Sherman, who, as it was reported, said that they were thinking about getting a VP of baseball ops, somebody that she would have to report to, considering that she's been a part of this turnaround in South Florida to the point where under first year manager Skip Schumacher, and even with the free agents that they brought in over the years, whether it's Avisel Garcia or Jorge Soler or trying to piecemeal it together to be competitive to where they were able to get a wild card spot. Granted that they got swept by the Phillies, but they did better than what the Mets, Padres, Yankees, Red Sox, Cardinals, you name it, did throughout the course of the 2023 season. And for her to have to leave the organization based on, let's face it, stupidity on the owner. That's just a terrible job. And that's why the Marlins are who they are. So, Ng, that's going to be an interesting name here over the course of the next month or so, whether she goes to Boston, has been rumored with Heim Bloom out. And as I mentioned, maybe the Mets, could they even pick up the phone, the call to generate some interest to bring Ng, who knows the landscape here in New York, and will have a good feel and more resources to put this team together under the... VP of Baseball Ops, David Stearns. Now, I don't know if she wants to do that. Maybe she wants to take it to the next level. I don't know what's in the cards for her if she's willing to want to get a VP of Baseball Ops job as opposed to a GM. But still, she's out there and bring her on board if you're a Mets fan. But let's see what's going to happen there. I thought that was a terrible job by the Marlins. And after, for them, a very successful year, come on, you could do a lot better than that and keep in there, keep her as part of the fabric of that organization, try to build off of this year, and obviously that's not going to happen with her at the helm. And then the other thing, and this has to do with a player, Trevor May, who is a former Met reliever before this year, most recently the Oakland A's, how he came out on his Twitch channel and just eviscerated the Oakland A's owner to the point where he went off into retirement that way I mean could you imagine here's a guy who was a very good reliever played on the Minnesota Twins for all those years and then came to New York he had the one good year two years ago and then last year he was just awful I understand he had injuries and didn't pitch to his potential or what the Mets were expecting as far as him being that eighth inning guy that steady guy to bridge to Edwin Diaz but he came out Guns a-blazing, hate to use that term, but went out in a blaze of glory. How about that? For Trevor May to say some very spicy and also use colorful language in the process. Not only was I very surprised, and we understand what's happening there in Oakland with the organization as far as them moving to Vegas probably in the next four years and the ownership there, how the fans came out during the middle of the season and try to, not necessarily boycott, but show their displeasure to the A's owner. And we could go down that rabbit hole as far as the connection with the fan base and Oakland, which hasn't been as strong as you would think. But for May, as he walks on out the door for his baseball career and whatever it is that he's going to do from here on out, and God bless him and kudos to you, my guy. But here are his quotes. He said, sell the team, dude. Sell it, man. Let someone who actually like takes pride in the things they own, own something. There's actually people who give a bleep about the game. Let them do it. Take mommy and daddy's money somewhere else, dork. And he also put some other colorful words there and a few other quotes. And of course the owner is John Fisher there of the A's. But boy, for me to go ahead and do that and feel as if, you know what? I'm not coming back to the major leagues and certainly not going to pitch for an owner who has been vilified. And we could talk about how they've tried to keep the team there, so on and so forth. And all the inner workings of them trying to get a stadium there in Howard's terminal right there by the bay, off the water there. And now it looks like, for all intents and purposes, they're going to go to Vegas, I believe, in the 2027 year. But for May to come out and do that, hey, kudos to him. That's all I could say. And it was a bit of a breath of fresh air. Really, do you see a player go against an owner like that? But he figures that, hey, I'm not going to pitch a baseball again, so let me go off into the sunset with a few choice words for a guy that I had to work for. And yeah, as you have seen, or maybe even have read, Trevor May certainly went out on his terms and to the point where he buried the Oakland A's owner. So that's what I got there with baseball. Let me turn my attention to the National Football League and college as I put on my helmet and shoulder pads to do both. And tonight you have your Thursday night matchup of Jacksonville and New Orleans and in the Superdome. And who knows the status of Trevor Lawrence as he was nursing an injury there based on the game Sunday in Buffalo. Now mind you, I was in transit on the way back from Europe. So I didn't get to see the game or watch the play or what's going to happen here as far as the status goes. But you would think Lawrence will suit up. Hasn't been determined whether or not he's going to be Under center tonight against the Saints, the Jaguars four and two, and the Saints trying to find their way in a very muddled NFC South. But the games this week, other than the Sunday night matchup, which I'll start there, because I don't just want to piss all over the NFL right now as far as their schedule goes. But for the Sunday night game, you have a very good one between the Dolphins and Eagles. And the Dolphins, this is a game that is going to be more on them than it is the Eagles. Now we understand the Eagles had that terrible game against the Jets the other day where they couldn't score a point in the second half and we could pound on Nick Sirianni, which I didn't really get to do the other day because I was just so down on the schedule and everything else that I was just disgusted by it. And for the Eagles, who have not played well this year other than the Monday night game against Tampa, but to me this is a game that we want to see the Dolphins step up to the point where we want them to be competitive. We saw what happened in Buffalo there a couple of weeks ago where they went up to Orchard Park and they got their doors blown off. And we could talk about the 70-point explosion against Denver and we could talk about them beating up on the Giants and we could talk about them beating up on teams that they normally beat up. Carolina last week, fine. But now they're going up against an Eagle team that's hurt it all week. That with the Dolphins coming into their building and Tyreek Hill and Tua took over lower and their high flying offense, and for the Eagles to try to lick their wounds after getting beat by the Jets there at MetLife on Sunday, to me, this is more on Miami than it is Philadelphia. Now, if Philadelphia loses the game, depending on how they lose, if it's a 35 31 game and Jalen Hurts is more in sync to the way he performed last year, and for whatever the reason, the Eagle defense was not able to contain. Tyreek Hill, and you also have Devon A-Chain, who has been phenomenal, but he's going to be on the shelf, so they lose a key component of their offense here early on this year, the Dolphins, that is, but if the Dolphins come away with a high-scoring affair and win a 35-31 type game, can we get on the Eagles for that, or the Eagle offense? We cannot. So, therefore, that's why I think this game is bigger, more so for Miami than it is Philadelphia, because they have to go on the road, we want to see them do it on the road, because even if they do win a division, and let's say get a two-seed in the AFC, the likelihood of them having to go to, let's say, Arrowhead right now, because even if they win a division, Buffalo's going to be somewhere around the five or six-seed in the AFC, and Miami is going to play Kansas City, albeit in Frankfurt, I believe, and I think that's next week, if I'm not mistaken, But and I'll get to that when the time comes. Again, the scheduling, again, the NFL feeding all these mouths, playing in all these different sites. Ah, don't get me started. But for Miami, we want to see where they stack up against the big teams. And we saw what happened there against Buffalo, albeit on the road, but you're going to have to win big road playoff games if you're going to get to a Super Bowl, especially with the one seed, the only team in each conference getting the bye. So that is your game of the week because when we look at this week seven schedule, now Jacksonville, New Orleans, is anybody going to be, ramped up to watch that i understand you may get wrapped up in the baseball tonight who knows but you have that to watch there for an nfl kicking off the week seven schedule other than that here are your games ready people las vegas at chicago cleveland at indianapolis and anthony richards out for the rest of the year with that shoulder so that's sorry and sad to see the rookie we're not going to see him in full display throughout the course of a whole regular season so Indianapolis, you feel that their season is going to go belly up. And no offense to Gardner Minshew, but you understand where I'm coming from. Buffalo at New England. That has 38-10 written all over it. Commanders at Giants. Atlanta at Tampa. And I get it. It's the NFC South. I talked about them being muddled. But really, is that a game that everybody's going to circle and say, oh, I got to watch that game? Pittsburgh at LA. And that's the Rams. Arizona at Seattle. Green Bay at Denver. Denver. Chargers at Kansas City, you can't trust the Chargers, I don't want to hear it, and then your Monday night game is San Francisco at Minnesota, alright, did I miss a game Jay Reels? I did, Detroit at Baltimore is the next good game, 1 o'clock Sunday, that's one you want to definitely pay attention to, to see the Ravens as they come back now on US soil after beating Tennessee in London, and Detroit, we understand, 5-1, and one, and maybe, could they win a road game against a very good opponent. Now, Baltimore, they're not world beaters, but still, they have Lamar Jackson, they have a very good offense, their defense is eh, but can Dan Campbell and company with Jared Goff go into Baltimore and flex their muscle to show and prove that they belong with San Francisco, Philadelphia, even Kansas City amongst the top teams in the NFL? So that's going to be a litmus test for them. Other than that, this schedule is an absolute snooze fest. And people could say, well, Jay Reels, what do you expect? What? Not every game could be a five star matchup. Not every game could be marquee. I understand. I get it. But when you have all these networks and all these platforms and you have to, like I said, feed all these mouths, it wears the product thin. All right, you got Miami at Philly. That's a game to look forward to. All right, Detroit Baltimore. Great. Tonight's game nobody's gonna jump up and down for The Monday night game, all right, you got the Niners there, but really the Vikings? The four o'clock window on Sunday is an absolute abomination. Pittsburgh at the Rams, and I'm a Steelers fan. Arizona at Seattle, I believe the game is probably Los Angeles to Kansas City, which is a CBS game. I'm sure that's Nance and Romo, but did you see what happened there Monday night with Staley and Justin Herbert, who did not have a good game? I right, mean, really? You're gonna get geeked up about that game? The NFL, as I mentioned on Monday, the first third of the season, has there been any significant game or a, just a standalone game that you could say, oh, that's been the game of the year, or, oh, that's been the matchup, or that's been, you haven't had that yet, and all right, maybe we could look at Miami, Philadelphia, okay, fine, I talked about Buffalo, Miami, oh, let's see what that game's going to be like, that game was 48-20. Dallas-San Francisco, oh, that's the marquee matchup. I understand that Dallas lost to Arizona, so you didn't have a clash of the titans between two undefeated teams. We saw the outcome of that game. That was over in the third quarter. So, this is the NFL in 2023. When you have Amazon, when you have ESPN, ABC, NBC, you have the 425 game of the week. Pretty soon you're going to have Black Friday, another Amazon game. It's just too much. And I'm a dying old NFL fan. I've been watching NFL football since the mid-70s. But it gets to a point where enough is enough. We understand your content is king. We understand that you are bulletproof. And I hate to regurgitate this because I'm not into the regurgitated narratives. And nobody else out in any podcast, radio show, TV show is saying anything that what I'm saying. And if they are, please... Hit me up on any of my social media accounts, my platforms, etc. And let me know who's killing the NFL. And what I mean by killing the NFL is killing them to the point where the product has become watered down. It just has. You do not have a lot of big games, marquee matchups. As I mentioned, you're going to have Miami, Kansas City, in Frankfurt, Germany, where that game should be at Arrowhead 1 o'clock, if not even... 8.25 or 8.30 NBC, but let's just say it was 1 o'clock where the game was in Kansas City where Tyreek Hill will go back to Kansas City for the first time since he was traded to Miami. If you're on the West Coast, you got to get up at 6 in the morning to watch this game. And while you wake up to get the crust out of your eyes and before you even brush your teeth, it's like, wait, Dolphins Chiefs in Frankfurt. This is what it's come to in the NFL in 2023. And I get it's been like that over the last decade. But, uh, I've had enough of it. So anyway, let me get off my soapbox here and move on to other things. Because I could talk about this forever. And trust me, if you follow my YouTube channel, there's going to be a vlog about this coming soon. Mark my words. And when I say soon, it's not going to happen in the next couple of weeks. But definitely sometime I would say around Thanksgiving, maybe right before, how about Black Friday? Mm. Keep that in mind, people, Black Friday vlog, NFL, YouTube channel, stay tuned. As for college football, let me turn my attention to the junior circuit. Your schedule this week is highlighted by Ohio State, Penn State. Now we know about the Big Ten, to me it revolves around those three teams, Penn State, Ohio State, and Michigan, and Penn State is going to be at Ohio State. Now Ohio State, although they're ranked number three, but their offense is certainly not the C.J. Stroud-led offense as we've seen here over the last couple of years, and if Penn State's going to do anything, granted it's on the road, let me see them put up a big performance here to really push themselves up the ranks of the college football top 10, and see if they can knock Ohio State down a few pegs. Because these teams are going to cannibalize one another, whether it's Penn State, Ohio State here, Penn State, Michigan, and as we all know, Michigan, Ohio State there, the weekend of Thanksgiving. So, we're going to see the Big Ten, which has been awful this year, as we know. Because when you have the likes of Iowa, and Minnesota, and Illinois, and Purdue... I mean, those teams can't hold a candle next to these teams. So now that we're getting into the teeth of the Big Ten schedule, more so Penn State, because we've seen Ohio State on big stages before, and even though they haven't beat Michigan the last couple of years, and we know they're going to try to exact revenge there later on this year, I don't think they're going to, just based on the identity of this team, not like the teams of the last two years, even though they couldn't beat Michigan then, and I think they're even lesser than they are this year than in years past, but it's more about Penn State to see if they belong on this stage and really show the country whether or not the Nittany Lions mean business and see if they could catapult themselves into the college football playoff mix when we get deeper into this month and certainly into November. And unfortunately, it's your 12 o'clock game, so it's not your 3.30 or even your primetime 7.30 game at night. So... Once you get your errands out of the way or you walk the dogs or do whatever it is that you do during your Saturday morning, 12 o'clock right there on Fox is going to be your game there in Columbus between the Buckeyes and Nittany Lions. And that's going to be one we'll recap certainly come Monday. Other than that, you have Tennessee at Alabama, which would be an intriguing game. Remember last year, Tennessee beat Alabama down in Knoxville. So let's see if Alabama, who... Let's face it, it's not your vintage Alabama team, but if Tennessee is going to upset the apple cart, if they can win a game in Tuscaloosa, that would be huge because it will knock Alabama from any consideration when it comes to the Final Four and Tennessee. Not that they'll be in the mix, but that will be a huge win moving forward for them. Other than that, your primetime game that night is going to be Duke and Florida State. You would think Florida State's going to handle business. Michigan is at Michigan State. Can the Spartans pull off an upset there while they host the Wolverines? Who knows? Utah USC. Now, USC, that is their kryptonite, the Utes. So, let's see if they can exact revenge as they lost to them twice last year during the college football season. So, that's a game that we'll pay attention to between those two Pac-12 teams. And other than that, that's what you have. So, you have a pretty good college football schedule, much better than the NFL, for that matter, as we head into the weekend, looking forward to what's going to happen there on both the pro and college gridiron. And now as I lace up my high tops, as we're five days away from the NBA season, and I haven't decided whether or not, as of right this second, I think I'm going to have the NBA preview on my Monday podcast, but that may change. Stay tuned to my YouTube channel at J Reels for more on that, and even social media for that matter. I post a lot on YouTube, more so recently on Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook. I don't really post other than the podcast itself. But with that being said, five days away from the opening tip. And can we ease up on the Victor Weminyama highlights that I saw last night in a preseason game as the preseason schedule will wind down here as we get to the weekend and prepare for the opening tip? Lakers, Nuggets there Tuesday night to raise the banner to the Rafters there at the ball arena in Denver. But for the Wembenyama hype, and we understand he could be a generational talent, he could be a guy that could carry the torch once LeBron finally hangs up his Nikes, and Wembenyama, of course, he's going to have to warm up to that because he's going to have a few guys beneath him that maybe could take that mantle and the torch from LeBron, but we would think a guy like Wembamyama seven foot four we haven't seen the complete skill set of a guy that big that could shoot the three could pass, could break you off a dribble, could shoot, could defend, could do things that maybe we haven't seen the likes of for a guy that big that tall since Kareem. and trust me, I am not trying to compare him to Kareem Abdul Jabbar because Jabbar didn't have the ball handling skills. He certainly didn't have the shooting range, the three-point range. Obviously, the game was much different back then than it is today, understood. But when we take a look at Wembenyama and all of his talents and his exploits heading into this regular season, for last night to play against the Houston Rockets, and even though they won the game, but they're showing highlights of a behind-the-back pass underneath the basket. And mind you, he's 7'5", so his wingspan's got to be 100 feet. And, of course, I'm exaggerating. But for them to show a highlight of him whipping a no-look pass to the far corner to where the player, I don't know who it was, took a three-point shot and he missed. Now we're showing highlights of a, a very good pass. It wasn't your white chocolate Jason Williams in the rookie sophomore game where he had the elbow pass. And I forgot who was the lead-in on the layup where he missed the layup. But it was an elbow pass where I'm sure if you're an NBA fan over 30, you've seen a million times. But come on. Now we're going to show a highlight of, again, it was a very good pass. And because he's long and has all that length and was able to whip that pass to the corner to show a three-point shot that was missed. This is what it's come down to, people. Let me see... A pass in traffic. Or let me see a no look where we got a finish. Whether it's a layup, a dunk. Even a shot from the perimeter. Show me that. Don't show me a missed dunk. Don't show me a missed assist. Don't show me. We don't want to see that. Is this what we're coming down to? It's almost like giving the participation trophy for. Okay, well even though you ended up last place. In a 100 meter or 100 foot or 40 yard dash. Whatever you want to call it. But even though you were at the starting line and you came up in last place, here's a trophy for you. Stop it. Can we put the brakes on that, please? I don't need to see a meaningless pass in even a more so meaningless preseason game that's going to be shown on ESPN or all the outlets that are going to show highlights where, oh, we got to hold our collective breath to think that, look at this pass by Victor Wembenyama. And it's not Wembenyama's fault. It's the ESPNs of the world that are showing this. I don't need to see it. It's not that impressive. And I'm looking forward to seeing how this kid's going to perform here. Because unlike decades past where players are going to want to go at Wimanyama. I mean, could you imagine when he played? And I'll go back 20 years. Against the likes of, let's say, Shaq. And not to say that Shaq was going to slam him in the paint. Or do significant damage as far as any physical or bodily harm or anything like that. But you know that if Wimpenyama remembers Shaq and his duels with Yao Ming. And Yao Ming had a few inches even on Shaq. But you knew that he wasn't going to try to give an inch to Yao Ming. He was going to make that kid earn it. Are there going to be players? Maybe a guy like Draymond Green. I get it. Because he does have the tenacity the fire in his belly to try to do whatever it takes to stop a player. And that's not to say the league isn't like that. But you get my point. Is Wenbin going to be five feet from the basket and they're just going to submit and be like, all right, just get the layup? Or they're not going to try to defend? Or they're going to do a hack of Wenbin because who knows what type of free throw shooter he is? Who knows? But I'm looking forward to seeing how this kid's going to play. I understand it's San Antonio. He's just a time zone behind. Thankfully, he's not in the West Coast with Portland or Sacramento where his games will get lost, especially here on the East Coast. But I'm looking forward to seeing how this kid's going to play. And I'm not trying to knock him. I'm not trying to knock his style of play. He's a freak of nature. 7-4 with all those skill sets that I mentioned. Yeah, I want to be here for it and see what it's all about. But we need to chill out with the highlights. That's all I got to say. Ah, oh, to me, it's just overboard. And we'll get into more of the NBA on Monday, whether I get into a preview Or even the NBA over-under numbers, you know I'm going to put that out there because I have to go through that and pick my over-under numbers, my six that I usually pick every year. So you'll have that to chew on come Monday's podcast. And as far as what's happening on the ice before I wrap up as I lace up my skates, pretty much everything is status quo. Nothing much has happened here over the last couple of days in the NHL. I know I didn't talk about Connor Bedard who had his... Debut there last week against the Penguins. Maybe I did touch on it a little bit, but I know he scored his first goal against the Bruins. Maybe I did. Now as I'm replaying this in my head, I think I did bring up Bedard, the number one pick of the Chicago Blackhawks, who could be that next guy. And I know it's kind of hard because the guy right now in the NHL is Connor McDavid, and who knows if the NHL has enough room for two Connors, considering Bedard is about what seven years, McDavid's junior. But Bedard, who had the assist against Sidney Crosby, his idol, his hero, in the opening game of his career there in Pittsburgh, and then in Boston had his first career NHL goal. Obviously, we'll keep an eye on what Bedard does here in his maiden voyage to what we would think is going to be a long, prosperous, and based on all the reports, I understand we can't base it on potential, but you figure that if he's healthy and he performs to where everybody's expecting him to, that he's going to have a Hall of Fame type of career, so we'll wait to see on that. But other than that, I'm not going to get too crazy. I know we talked about the teams that have gotten out of the gate the other day, whether it's the Bruins, as we talked about there, as they've gotten off to a 2-0 and start, piggybacking from what they did last year. The Senators, a team that I picked as an over as far as their point total, they're 3-1 to start off their year. Same for the Red Wings, another team that I picked as an over for my point total. They're also 3-1, so they've gotten off to very good starts. The Islanders, my Islanders, which I didn't really preview that much, Because they didn't really do much this offseason, but they're 2-0 with the two games at home beating Buffalo and Arizona. So you have that going on. Colorado's off to a 3-0 start, good for them. I know the Panthers have gotten off to a slow start. They started off 0-2 before getting their first win there the other night. But yes, I'm not going to get crazy. Golden Knights 4-0, so no Stanley Cup hangover for them as they're flying out of the gate undefeated there in their first four games. That's what you got there with the NHL. We all know that's going to be a slog of a season. Same for the NBA. And especially as I'm doing this podcast twice a week, it's not as if you can really get into the nuts and bolts of a season. Yes, things could pop up along the way, which you know I'm going to highlight and showcase. But like I said, Monday we talked about me being off, obviously, on my trip to Paris and Rome. So I was able to get a little bit more into the first week of the NHL season. But now that a couple of days have gone by, Right, what more is there to discuss and what more has really popped up over the last forty-eight to seventy-two hours for me for me to really delve into more than a week into the season? Not gonna be much people, but you know I'm gonna be on top of it. You know your boys got you covered. And with that being said, that puts a lid on this podcast. Thank you so much for stopping by, for carving out precious moments and time out of your day to listen to what it is that I have to say about what goes on in the world of sports. If you haven't done so, like I mentioned at the top, please subscribe, rate, review, throw me a few stars, write a review. I greatly appreciate that. Come on, people. I'm planning to take this to bigger heights as we get to the end of this year and into 2024. I know I say that every year, but trust me, 2024 is going to be epic. And if you continue to stay tuned, you're going to find out on a week-in, week-out basis what it is that I'm talking about. And when you get to my social media platforms, especially my YouTube channel, you definitely want to keep your fingers on the pulse for that because I put up content there daily I'll keep you abreast of what's happening. Please subscribe there, at J Reels. On Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, the J Reels Podcast. X, Twitter, J Reels, one, just the number. Or if you want to hit me up with a question, comment, suggestion on any of those aforementioned platforms or at this email address, at gmail.com. I'll be more than happy to, whatever it is, hit me up. I'll be more than happy to follow up with you guys and gals because whether you do or do not know. This is what I love to do, people. It's in the blood. It's in the DNA. As I like to say, I'm not going anywhere as long as I'm alive and breathing on God's green earth because I'm doing what I love. This is my passion. This is my purpose. Delivering fire, energy with my thoughts, opinions, analysis, critiques, praise, feelings on anything and everything. That happens on the world of the diamond, ice, gridiron, hardwood, golf course, racetrack, tennis court, boxing ring, octagon, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J Reels podcast always comes correct, directed, and in full effect, and give it up to the Las Vegas Aces, who won back-to-back WNBA titles. I understand I give them no pub, no press, and it's not because I don't want to, but nevertheless, they did win here in my backyard at the Barclays Center in New York, as they won their second consecutive WNBA championship, so congratulations to them. But from the South Bronx, the South to the South Central, the South Pacific, and all points beyond, peace, love, and God bless, everybody. And until next time on the J Reels Podcast, on the flip, baby.